What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Gray Report. If you're a multifamily investor, active, passive, lucky for you're in the right spot. We have some incredible reports related to the multifamily industry, commercial real estate, the economy. Um, two reports on migration trends, one from U-Haul and one from United Van Lines. Where are people moving? Where are they moving from? And where are people leaving? Critical pieces of data to try to forecast, you know, what will apartment fundamentals be in different markets into the future? Where is that trend? How can we catch um, the wind in our sails to push us where we want to go? A piece from Zillow, the hottest housing markets of 2024. It may not be the markets that you have in your mind. Certainly some new entrants on the list from previous years. And then a piece from NAR, the National Association of Realtors, the county median home prices in the monthly mortgage payment. We're looking at affordability. We're looking at different housing markets. Where have home prices gone? And what does that mean for renters? Then a piece from Bercadia. They're putting out finally their 2024 national forecast report looking at sales volumes, looking at rent growth. Where are they seeing the opportunities for 2024? Will they get it right? We'll see. Make sure you pay attention to the Gray Report. And then last, from Moody's Analytics, takeaways from the CRE Finance Council Conference. We're going to get an update on all of these multifamily loans that are maturing throughout 2024 into 2025. You may have downloaded some of Gray Capital's research briefs specifically on this topic. If not, hop on over to the Gray Capital website to learn more. And if you're not subscribed to the Gray Capital YouTube channel to get Gray Report updates sent directly to you, make sure you do it. Give this video a like. Hop on the website. Let's get into it. Welcome back, Director of Communications and Marketing, Dr. Matt Bostoggle, joining us once again today, also producer of The Gray Report. We are recording live from the Gray Capital headquarters and studios. Beautiful, sunny Indianapolis. Sunny and frosty <laughs> Indianapolis, Indiana, the uh, the gem of the Midwest, um, as we'll see on a couple different um, reports here earlier. Not on all, though. Um, it's interesting. Matt, um, we've been inundated the last called month or so with, mm -hmm. um, you know, end of 2023, beginning of 2024, forecasts, reports, summaries. It's been a lot to make the time just to get through them all. Yeah. We've got some ones that we finally are getting to today, especially on some of the kind of the U-Haul and the United Van Lines reports. Those are always mm -hmm. interesting. They get, gain a lot of attention from real estate investors. Before we get into any of these reports, though, was any one report that, then again, we have the, the uh, migration reports, the hottest housing market, the home prices, uh, national forecast from Bercadia, and then the Moods Analytics takeaway from the CRE Finance Council Conference. I'm just curious. I don't always ask you this. Which one of these reports, if you were going to like read one, mm -hmm. um, if one really stood out, what was it? Um, I would say the uh, probably it's weird, but I really like the NAR report. Yeah, I dove into that, you know, and it, it's not exactly about apartment prices, but it was like a fun is a fun little map. And it's not much of a report, but they have every single county and they have the average home prices for there. And they've got a little color coded yeah. so you can figure out where the hot spots are when it comes to home values. It's something I didn't know that I was thirsty for, but I really it was really um, it's really cool seeing like the. These these areas where oh wow wow what's going on there yeah what's you know, going on there what, oh, wait, oh there it Wyoming, is what's yeah happening there? and sometimes yeah. you'll see like the city center that's where the most valuable sure. uh, county is in the state or whatever but sometimes it's like the outlying counties yeah the suburbs sometimes it's really densely packed and other times there's like sixty six people per square mile or in the case of Teton County like two people per square mile yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so that makes that makes sense it's, it's really interesting. so you're so you're nerding out over the data oh over yeah there you were great yeah. so a great format so um and again if you'd like the this data and these reports kind of aggregated, sent directly to you. Um, sign up for the Gray Report newsletter. Hop on at graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter, and you get these reports sent directly to your inbox. Otherwise, you're just going to spend all your day just trying to find these things. Yep. Um, do what Matt does already. Um, work smart, not harder. <laughs> okay, um, let's get into these um, migration reports from U-Haul United Van Lines, Matt. Um, yeah. Let's so look at 
what's your top takeaway? U-Haul announces top growth states of 2023. I'm going to just like go out and say it for all yeah, these. So we, we're looking at these big markets. And one of the things that I noticed were these mountain markets. I don't know if, you know, if that's like a, uh, it's not a belt, obviously, because they're all scattered across the country. But there are the a lot the, of the more ranges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but whether it's like the Smokies or the Rockies or whatever, um, people like living around mountains. So states like Idaho and and Washington and um, and maybe not as much states uh, uh, like, well, for these migration reports, the Midwest, um, Texas, though, for U-Haul is in first place. And um, and it was in first place in 2022 in the U-Haul chart uh, that is it is followed by Florida, which is the same as last year, North and South Carolina, and then Tennessee, Idaho, Washington, Arizona, Colorado, all places with mountains. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm going out on a limb, but that's, but it, you know, it seems like people are moving. Um, Sunbelt, yes, that's a destination. People want to live there. There's natural amenities, but people like to hike. So oceans, and, oceans, you know, people say oceans or mountains. Yeah, I need to have oceans or I need to have oh, mountains. Oh, really? So okay, one, okay. One, one or the two, you know, for your entertainment, you know, you're yeah. going to go out and go out on the boat and have fun. You're going to go fishing, diving, whatever, or do you want to go, you know, skiing, hiking, you know, outdoors yeah. activities, yeah. something to do mm-hmm. where, you know, in the Midwest, uh, we don't have as much of that. It's pretty, no. it's pretty flat, but, yeah. but, but, yeah. but here, but, uh, it's so affordable in the yeah, Midwest savings for sure that you can go and visit all those places. And That's so what we flips, tell ourselves and, at least. And you will see the kind of flip side, interestingly enough, of this U-Haul. And um, and we'll see in a second. The United Van Lines report are the hottest housing markets. Um, one outlier for the U-Haul report and and is that Vermont was also on the list. It was down at number thirty last year, and then it was up at like number twelve. Other than that, it was all mountains and sunbelt. You know, there's been a handful of New England and northern New England um, mm-hmm. metros that, in the Northeast in general, has been doing yeah. really well in a lot of the data that we've been seeing. Um, but places like Providence, Rhode, Rhode Island, that we're going to see in the Zillow report, also mm-hmm. um, Portland, Maine, um, places like that where you wouldn't necessarily doesn't always like meet breach the top of the list but are seeing a lot of demand um you know probably because there hasn't been nearly as much supply there are restrictive markets a lot of nimbyism in those markets i think that's a a, probably a big driver but to see that they're getting immigration you know i think again is it people you know there's a big exodus still from new york and california these high Mm. tax high regulatory states moving to markets that um you know simply are more affordable just from a tax you know standpoint yeah i mean among other other things but I mean, just the taxes. It is interesting what you said about the Northeast, too, because more, you know, the apartment rent growth story for the past year or so has been Northeast and Midwest, those regions. And when it comes to like this migration and uh, reports and even the home values we'll look at with Zillow and NAR, the Northeast has shined in a way um, that the Midwest maybe didn't. Um, However, uh, it's still pretty strong when it comes to like, uh, price growth and expected price growth. You really kind of can't beat that affordability. And, there, and affordability is a big reason why people move. Yeah. Um, so, that, And that's something that's reflected in the yeah. in the Zillow report. You know, and one thing that's, that happens in the Midwest that, you know, because these are state-by-state reports. Mm-hmm. And um, on the, I don't know, on the U-Haul, Matt, you can, you can tell me this. Um, it, it, I would love to see more of a, um, like, MSA breakdowns, you know. Yeah, um, Because, you know, I, like I know I, neither from. Neither had those, yeah. Because, I, like, I know from, you know, in Indiana, mm-hmm. um, we've got a lot of counties that are losing population because they're very rural counties. You know, that it's kind of farming, and that's, like, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, maybe a small little town that has lost its relevance. And everyone is moving to the larger, the medium and larger cities, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the, sat, the, kind of the satellites, like, you know, you're in your Fort Wayne's, your Bloomington's, your Evansville's, places like that. They're sucking a lot of the population from the surrounding counties, but they're also bringing in people from, you know, Chicago yeah. um, or, you know, New York or, you know, w- from wherever wherever else, from California. Um, people moving because it's so affordable, mm-hmm. but they're moving to the cities. So they're not moving somewhere random. Yeah. And so you can have an MSA like Indianapolis, for example, or Fort Wayne um, that is growing really has some really strong growth prospects mm-hmm. um maybe not as much as the Sunbelt metro but still really strong um but if you're just looking at a state by state yeah you could have that image clouded a little bit um it, it's the same thing if you were looking at you know overall you know population change in the united states yeah it's a data point mm-hmm. give you some information 
but it really doesn't help you because all real estate is so hyper local. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely uh, you know islands of of success, and even within a market, right? There is a, a, within a larger MSA, you can find the submarkets yeah. that are more, way yeah. more successful. And that's something that I I noticed too in the in the NAR report is you look at um, like Minneapolis, for instance, not really known for rent growth over the past four years. Yeah. But it had more clusters of high yeah. home values than any of the other Midwestern yeah. markets. So well, and but. In and also home values, and we'll get into it when we look at the um, that report. You know, home values. You know, um, it can it, it it doesn't necessarily indicate demand yeah. by any means, yeah. or de- maybe desirability a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we know California has the most amount of move outs, but they also have some of the highest home va- home prices. Yeah, and yeah. because of that, people are leaving because it's not affordable. Mm-hmm. In Midwest, some much lower home values. People are moving there because of the affordability and the supply to affordability, especially with inflation. And people are looking, okay, uh, and the opportunity to work from home. Mm -hmm. How can I make a decent salary, reduce my expenses, and still um, live in a pretty nice place? And that's where the Midwest is is resonating with a lot of folks, but also with all these mountain um, markets as well. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's in Wyoming or, you know, in Idaho (laughs) or Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. If you can work remote, which is obviously the trend that started in the pandemic, a lot of it's been reversed. But you know, there's a uh, a cohort of working from home folks that are always going to be around, especially in the tech industry. Oh, yeah, industry. for sure. I think so, too. You know, yeah. I think it's being reduced a little bit, you know, but it's always going to be there because mm-hmm. you need – because if the right person, the right talent is across the country, they're not going to move. Oh, and yeah, like, you, you they find don't out. really need to be there because they're coding all day. I've got some development plans for Teton County. That I'll, I'll describe Good. here in just a second. But um, Wonderful. for the United Vans migration pattern study. So, hi, this is Matt with a quick update and correction. Every time that we referred to the United Van Line study in this video, we were actually referring to the Atlas Van Line study. Now, I do have the United Van Line study up right here, and I have the top markets, and I will include a link to the United Van Line study also in the show notes. The top inbound states of 2023 for the United Van Line study were Vermont, Washington, D.C., South Carolina, Arkansas, Rhode Island, North Carolina, South Dakota, Alabama, New Mexico, and West Virginia. Interesting about this study is they pull out some metro area trends and the study shows movers tend to relocate to less expensive metro areas that are likely to see less competition in the housing market. Charlotte, North Carolina, and Indianapolis, Indiana were among the top markets for net inbound moves by United Van Lines. And that's all for the update. Let's get back to your regularly scheduled great report. So, um, we their, their list of the top states are um, not all Sunbelt or Mountain markets really a lot more of the um, northeast uh, was showed up in this list so maine is at the top yeah that's interesting and, and then north carolina and, and new hampshire florida and texas are a little farther down um what i liked about this chart just to break for a second here is is that texas uh they break down the amount of inbound and outbound traffic so texas have, has 56 inbound and florida has 58 percent inbound which is not too shabby and likely brings in a larger number of people maybe that's why it was ranked higher in U-Haul. Um, but when it comes to proportion, um, Maine with 64% inbound is the top. Uh, and then it goes to um, North Carolina, uh, New Hampshire, Montana, Washington, Arkansas, Florida, New Mexico, D.C., and Texas. To be honest, though, looking at this Sun Belt dominant map, um, even at a glance where you see that the blue is uh, represents high inbound and the red represents uh, represents out higher outbound. You see, you know, it's Washington and Montana, but then a clear Sun Belt and Northeast. That's where the inbound traffic is happening, and the outbound traffic is happening in uh, in in the Midwest, basically. You know, Louisiana and, and Mississippi have have more outbound um but it is you know if you had to paint with a broad brush which is what i'm gonna do right now uh, it's a sunbelt dominant and again it's so fascinating because the highest inbound states are the ones with the worst growth right now the worst rent growth that are yeah. performing the absolute worst and most of the distress is happening and in these markets where there's more outbound we're actually seeing the most growth mm-hmm. and the strongest fundamentals and more affordability which which uh united van lines notes specifically saying that uh, many of the country's most affordable uh states have seen high rates of uh of, of moves, particularly in the Midwest, such as Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not sure how, like, it doesn't mean that people are pouring out of these states by any means, because you'll see the counterpoint to both of these in Zillow's 
uh, in Zillow's report where they call out these very affordable markets as poised for growth. Yeah, as, ma- as magnets yeah. of affordability. And, and, yeah. and I don't think, again, like this data from United Van Lines, it's not representative of a uh, of a 41% decrease or, or you know 10% decrease in the population yeah, because maybe be in California. Pour, pouring out. It's yeah, just the balance of moving. And so uh, what ultimately I think that this, if you pair this with a Zillow, what ultimately it says is that affordability is so much of a draw and so much of an indicator of future home uh, housing value growth that uh, that it, it exceeds any migration yeah. interest. Yeah, though this is a really a, you know, a leading indicator for future demand. Yeah. In future absorption, mm-hmm. which is relative to supply, which is what we've seen. You know, we saw migration, similar strong migration report to the Sun Belt in previous years to indicate strong demand. And we're seeing strong demand in the Sun Belt right now, um, but in the face of hyper supply. Yeah. And there's just not even with decent demand, it's not enough to combat the very high historically uh, levels of supply. I mean, we're delivering more supply today than we have um, yeah. for the last 36 years. Totally. We're, at a, we're at a multi-decade um, high right now. So yeah. it um, you have to look at a lot of different factors, but the migration trends certainly a great leading indicator mm-hmm. for future demand and growth. You mentioned the Zillow report, Matt. You ready to Yeah, I think it puts there? a lot of this stuff into context, um, especially when it comes to affordability. So this isn't a rent, home price growth, or home value list specifically, but since projections about these things are going to be a little bit fuzzy, um, I think it's okay we can zoom out a little bit and take a look at this larger housing picture. Um, Zillow's list of the hottest markets in 24 is based on an analysis of forecast home value growth. So recent housing market velocity, so time spent, um, days on market is what they have here, and projected changes in the labor market, home construction activity, and number of homeowner households. So, uh, uh, you know, a basket of criteria. Um, I think that the days on the market and the typical home value are something that my eyes really, you know, shot to initially. And it's interesting seeing, um, I'll just call out Charlotte, North Carolina compared to Atlanta. Now, Charlotte, North Carolina has uh, a home there is only, only will be on the market for 16 days and its typical home value is 371,000. Atlanta, Georgia, only $2,000 more of a home value and its days on the market is 26. Um, other than other than Charlotte, which is a clear outlier, if you have an affordable house, if it's basically in the 200s, your days on the market is in the teens. And if you have in the 300s or 400s, your days on the market are much higher. Now, Providence is another outlier too, I'm just seeing there, but places like uh, Orlando, Florida, and and Tampa, they're you know 23, 24 days on the market, and uh, that's that's a lot different than places like Cincinnati or Columbus, where it's only spending 11 days on the market yeah. before someone snaps it up. I think this this list surprised a lot of people, Matt. Um, again, you said on the top of the list is Buffalo, New York. Yeah, you know, and so people are like. Buffalo, New York is going to be the hottest housing market. It's, it's not Miami. It's not Tampa. It's not Phoenix. It's all these Phoenix, you know, all these hot, hot housing markets. Mm-hmm. And, number, and then the whole list, you know, number two, Cincinnati, Ohio. Number yeah. three, Columbus, Ohio. Number four, Indianapolis, Indiana. And then five, Providence, Rhode Island. You have to get through the top five before you can start to see some names of markets that you might would have yeah, the usual been on the list. Kind you know, of. Atlanta, Charlotte, yeah. um, and then Cleveland, um, mm-hmm, Orlando, mm-hmm. Tampa. Um, so it, it, I think this report, I've seen a lot of people share it and talk about it, mm-hmm. um, because it was surprising. And this is what this is indicating is again, house formation is good for renting and buying just mm-hmm. as people, if people are going to be buying houses in that market, people are also going to be renting, yeah. renting apartments or houses in that market. And this is, they're basically saying, you know, we're not going to see a decline in housing, housing prices, Mm-hmm. Which we would likely to see, you know, further rank growth at all, at all, because they're correlated. Not not exactly, yeah. and there's other factors obviously that go into it. Um, but these markets are going to stay tight um, for a while now. Yeah, and um, one thing they don't have here on this little table, they have home value, mortgage payment, typical rent in the days on market, which is fine. Um, but they also one of the criteria was the um, the number of jobs opening per residential mm. home permitted. Um, so they're looking at the single family homes that get permits and they then they are measuring that against the difference or the job growth for a particular market. Now I tried to kind of like 
back of the napkin look on just publicly available BLS and, and census data. And I figured out something that was pretty interesting for Buffalo yeah. specifically. Yeah. So that? Buffalo, they have their number of residential permits issued is like 1200 compare that to Indianapolis is like 12,000. Yeah. And wow. so wow. It, it's so just not a building. Yeah. It's not building as much, just not building that much. Well, that's where, you know, some, Supply is so important. Yeah, it's such an important variable that it's it's easy to um, get to just focus on the on the demand side, which is obviously critical important. If you don't have the demand, you mm-hmm. know, um, but the supply is equally as important. And um, if there's a mismatch there, that can be much more impactful, and it leads to a lot of confusion and misinvest mal not mal misinvestment. Yeah. From from folks who are saying, "Have you seen how many people are moving there?" Mm-hmm. And it's just and that's what they're going to go on. Have you seen how many people move? Have you seen the United Van Lines report? Everybody's moving to that market. Yeah, yeah. And they also just built you know fifteen thousand new apartments, and there's only going to be you know five thousand you know new people that yeah. are going to be renting them. You know, there's going to be ten thousand. You know, I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. but you know, there's going to be some discounts in the market. Is you know, they're going to try to lease up these apartments. So yeah. so it's um, you can and often it's. Because the signals for demand are so early and leading, and these projects take a long time, and everyone is often, or many investors or developers will have kind of the same idea about the same market. Mm-hmm. Like, what's well, all going to the same little submarket? So instead yep. of where it and needs, they kind of come in waves sometimes. They come in waves. Like- so instead of like the 500, 600 units the submarket needs end up building, you know, 2,000 units. Yeah. I've, I've noticed in, in, again, just covering how variable these lists are, whether it's Zillow, United Van Lines, or U-Haul, um, you'll see variable markets in general. There's so much variation and, you know, the story of each market, where they're staying, you know, what stage they are at and how many people are building houses at that, at that moment. That's going to change from year to year. So there's always going to be variation and it's never going going to be the same kinds of variation. So it's it's a good reminder to know that like, yes, you know, for all this talk of 2024 being, you know, a little bit more subdued or you're going to have the, you know, efficiency struggles like the bubbling and volatility in terms of like the market differences is uh, ripe for opportunity, I think. So that some, you know, there's room to strike um, even in this like you know, kind of uncertain area. There's clear differences. And, you know, for people that are able to find that, find that place, I think that's, yeah, I think it starts getting excited. Um, You ready to switch over to this NAR report? Uh, This this beautiful map for sure. (laughs) So county median home prices and monthly mortgage payment, Matt. So you're going to have to explain to folks, not only watching, but folks listening, what we are looking at. I'm seeing a map of the United States with colors for counties. What is, what's going on here? So um, the deeper red you get is uh, it goes up to a million, you know, over a million um, is the average home value, the median home value for a given market. So T, Teton County, Wyoming is a, is a large county in Wyoming that that includes the Grand Tetons National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Jackson and Hole. in Jackson Hole, and the median home price there is one million one hundred thousand ninety three dollars and one hundred sixty dollars. <laughs> A lot of money, $1.2 million essentially to live in. Uh, it's the median price. Now, um, the there are other clear winners when it comes to home values like Santa Clara County and um, in San Mateo County. You're saying it like this is a good thing. Well, the winners. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm joking. They, they, they're sure they, they can, so, they can yeah. get a prize. They get a prize. <laughs> the, the top ranked, the most expensive housing markets uh, are 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 these West Coast cluster of you know San Francisco adjacent markets, Bay Area, Bay Area, yeah. and and this market in Wyoming, and then you've got to go all the way across to the northeast where there's two small islands, the island of Nantucket. And Nantucket County, and it's too small for my even my mouth. I know, yeah. And, and there's Dukes County. And they're both in Massachusetts, and they both have you know a, a million dollar plus uh, homes. And then the other one, you can't and even that's see the pilgrims. It. Yeah, sure. Whaling, okay, the whaling for, they, industry. They've been there for a while. It's, it's the way, yeah, whaling. Deep pocketed whaling. <laughs> and then you can't even the see whaling it. industrial. Yeah, yeah, complex. yeah. The yeah. the island of Manhattan. That's the other one. Um, I don't even know if you'll you'll be able to hover. I'm over not going to be able tiny. to click. Yeah, but um, but that that's all to say that um, it, it's rare to get a county that has over a million dollar houses 
and they're not everywhere. It's not in Seattle. It's not in Phoenix. And it's not in Austin or even really in Miami, um, such as the variability of, of those of those counties. But it's just not there. What what is also noticeable, and I noticed this before, is these cluster of very expensive, high value counties around the mountains: the Salt Lake City, Denver, Colorado, ski towns, ski and- towns. And um, I, I, it's and maybe it's because these are large counties, so it looks a little bit bigger. Because I'm sure that that population is spread across a lot bigger area than is, you know, and and specifically for Teton County, that is, uh, you know. Most of that space in that county is taken up by you know, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, the Bridger Teton National Forest, and you can't build a beautiful luxury apartment community on the banks of Lake Yellowstone. You just can't do it. You can't build like a 390-unit Class A multifamily property, maybe has like an outdoorsy feel, and drawing in these high work-from-home value, like really top of the line. You can't build that right on right on top of a geyser. But Oh, but because they won't let you build They it. just won't let you. Just yeah. Let you. Well, you know— yeah, probably not. Probably uh, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'd want to. I don't know. Maybe who, who wouldn't want to live right? You know, right outside Old Faithful. Um, but I, my guess is the maintenance would be pretty bad, though. Like moisture control. I don't know. I mean, they, they've got. Have you ever uh, been to Old Faithful? Uh, yeah. I, well, no, I've never been to Old Faithful, but I know that it sprays the water everywhere. <laughs> you, and if you put yeah, a, an no, apartment, you haven't. Well, no, I know well, what it the is. <laughs> they've got the lot. They've got the lodge right there. Oh, okay. It, it, okay. Literally, you think that the Old Faithful is yeah. like out in the woods? You have to like walk to. Yeah. Literally, like the the, the lodge. Um, <laughs> they've they've got the main like lodge at Yellowstone that's, uh-huh. right, that's right there, and you just walk outside of the. It's in Old Faithful is right oh, there. Jeez. So like like I, I remember that this was like. 15 20 years ago yeah family trip we were staying at the lodge in a room you literally just like walk outside and Dang. you know you know the times it's going to be going uh-huh. it's all the other cool um weird oh i want to see um, all the multicolored little ponds yeah and stuff. That, that that's what's really cool that are all like sulfuric acid yeah if you, and, you know that someone always falls in one <laughs> someone's dog and, goes and chasing you yeah. wow. really good but um yeah i don't they probably yeah, we died. Uh, no, no, I want to build an apartment right on top of the right well, on top well, of the geyser. Maybe, okay, well, maybe not in the national parks, but they <laughs> probably could use some workforce housing yeah. um, in these markets. It's a big, yeah. it's big, it's a big problem. A lot of these destination markets, it's big too. Um, expensive. Well, that's that was my point. You know, I, I'm saying it in a joking and in, in saying it in a joking way, but yeah, who's going to uh, who's going to run the pizza you know the pizza shop or whatever in in Teton you know in Teton County? My guess is someone that lives two well, hours Jackson away. Jackson Hall. I mean, there's a lot of people who you know want to go and they want to eat fancy food and buy some fancy clothes. And obviously, you get it's it's expensive because mm-hmm. if you want that, you're gonna have to pay people to work there and live yeah. there. And um, you know, you gotta have a di- you're gonna have a dishwasher making basically thirty five, forty, fifty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's the only way that works. Or I, it, technology it's, things. It's gonna be robots in there. It's super interesting looking. at well, that's the what te- I thought. Te- Tesla robots. I, I thought of that. I, I'm thinking about that with San Francisco. Everyone's chasing down like the um, the pizza making robots or like burger flipping robots. The reason why they're doing it is probably because they can't staff a McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> and they can't get their burgers. Yeah, we know, I think we're going to see a lot of that in the next couple of years, just a- out of necessity. And it's, yeah. not, it's not like that they're going to be like we're going to fire people to bring these in. It's going to be. There's just no one to do it right now, and it no goes further. It. it radiates further out as that as those home values increase. That you're that you're able to you know kind of have a a diverse functioning economy. Yeah. <laughs> if if it's pricing so many people out, and my my surprise was seeing places like Teton County or or these other you know very mountainous. I'm sure a lot of space is taken up by national parks, and in, even in places like Nantucket, sixty six but sixty six people per square mile. Like 103 people per square mile. Those are the one. Those yeah. are those two islands. But then Teton County is like two, and and it's because you know everyone, every, the land has been claimed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, claimed. Yeah, 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 yeah. like old plot. Western style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's definitely a challenge. And some some um, locations, like out some in the mountain um, met, metros mm-hmm. and markets, I feel like it should be a little bit easier. Um, you also have to get like it's. More can be more difficult to build in those locations. Less yeah. availability of you know maybe 
supplies and all of that, but still definitely doable. There's, there's yeah, the, there true. is the land. There usually is the land. Yeah. Whereas in like on Nantucket or, you know, like on islands, like yeah, you can squeeze through, you can't yeah. make there. There's no more land. There's no more room. Mm-hmm. It's all really expensive. And you can't just like dredge a part of, you know, outside of Nantucket or Key West and dig up a coral yeah. reef and, you know, build a new island like they did in uh, Dubai. Yeah, yeah, very true. Not I mean, yet, at least. <laughs> not any, not. I think though. Soon. Again, to return to these mountains, it's hikers. I think people love hike. You go around hiking, you feel better. You look down on people that don't hike. Well, you're up. You're up on a hill, so it's yeah. easy. It's, it's easy to look down on people. Or the true. skiers. Have you seen some of the videos of people waiting for like the the, the ski lifts? I no, mean, no. Like the lines are like you know my, a quarter mile long, and people are paying you know crazy amounts of money. I mean, hundreds of dollars for yeah. you know a, a, a ski pass. You know, in like, you know, Europe, it's like a fraction of the price. But, you know, everyone, everyone likes to ski these days. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a very popular, especially in like the tech world. If you have a little bit of money, because it takes a little doesn't you don't need money to ski. But often it's a more expensive sport than Mm -hmm. going to wherever, just going to a national park and sightseeing. And people have the money they're spending. It's causing all these lines. They just don't have the capacity um, to handle it. And so you can see how that. that the demand for skiing and being in those um, locations, those markets, if you can work there, or maybe it's a second home. Um, how, why yeah. we can understand the kind of the impetus for all of this, but it's getting just a little out of hand. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they need to open some I don't, some more ski mountains and. That's right. Deuce, I don't know. <laughs> they probably aren't allowed to do that. I don't know. The rules have to well, go to Europe. I mean, I've talked to people who said it's cheaper for us to fly to Europe and ski mm. in Europe in the, in the Swiss or the French Alps wow. than it is to go to Colorado. Crazy. Yeah. That's that's. I mean, I, don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments below, but I mean, I was looking at a chart yesterday, and I I I, I don't. I'm not a skier. I, I have skied. I like skiing, but um. I was looking at a chart of yeah, mm-hmm. some of the European um, ski destinations, and it's like you know sixty euros for a ski pass, and in the U.S. it's like three hundred dollars. Wow! It's like you'd think there's a lot of mountains in the Rockies. You'd yeah, think at least exact, one of them. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, okay, let's move on over to this Bercadia piece, yeah. Matt. A little more general. A little more general, Moving but it's, it, it's good. It's good to note. Twenty twenty four national forecast report. Okay. Um, Matt, what were some of your takeaways? Any new information? I, I saw some information yeah. that I've seen before, but what's what? What kind of makes this report stand out? That's worth. Uh, um, okay, so they did give a. They gave me excuse to give a rundown of everyone's rent growth now, and I'll get to that in a second. But the pullout was they gave a huge high number for apartment supply and for apartment demand. Um, they say that we are going to have six hundred and seventy thousand. 71 new apartment units by the end of the year and the absorption will take up almost all of that with 665,497 in absorption um way more than the 450 you know or so new supply that we got in 2023 so one thing that really stands out to me about that matt is that i mean it it sounds it sounds good but they're essentially saying we're going to have an equal amount of absorption which is demand in 2024 than we did in the crazy demand period of 2021, yeah. which we saw 672,000 units absorbed and we only delivered 356. So they're saying now in that year, obviously demand outpaced supply, which led to the incredible run in rental rates. Um, but this is really interesting that they're basically going to see we're going to see a huge surge in demand, which I have been hearing and reading more about that we are going to see a lot of demand that's mm-hmm. going to be unlocked this year but not a lot of people making a huge call beyond that we're getting into specifics they're saying no we're going to rise to meet the demand of all these units we're going to be delivering more units than we've ever delivered again in 36 years yeah and um but we're going to absorb pretty much all of that yeah that's a that's a big that's a big call you know it's so they explain it because we're this is a rally from the negative absorption and the lower yeah. absorption in 2023 and a tight housing market but, but okay but just to push back on that yeah. we, we didn't have lower absorption in 2023 we had above average absorption in 2023 yeah. it was just below supply that came online yeah i i i think that i mean that's what their that's what their reasoning is and that's for, per real page which is the same um yeah same data that I believe they are um, pulling pulling from. Oh no, this is uh, sorry. No, this this is 
co-star and Yardy. Oh no, and real page. So yeah, because the six, the, the six seventy seventy one. That's a real page number, I believe. Okay, it's and and it is a generous number for new supply, and it's not agreed upon from from all the sources. So, um, co-star I believe has uh has lower than twenty twenty three numbers for their twenty twenty four projections. They, they do. Yeah, they have it really dropping off early on, which I I was. You know, surprised to see. And what I think is, you know, it's probably could be close, closer to 500 or, or, you know, let's let's find the middle. But I don't think that we're going to see a huge, a huge surge in demand as much as as 665. Deliveries are off almost always often are um, overestimated and then they're revised down as we get through the year. In this environment where, you know, um, interest expenses way, way up, Mm -hmm. I would not be shocked if some some projects, you know, ended up never getting started that yeah. were reported to have started um, or maybe on hold that are going to be stretched out a little bit mm-hmm. um, because of that. Maybe some that are going to be sped up because they want to get it done quicker, but that's, I mean, you can want to speed up. To, you never yeah. want to, you want to do this, always want to do as quick as possible. You're not usually have mm-hmm. too much control once things are started. Um, Economically, I don't think that it could support all of this activity too. I just don't see the demand coming up so high if, in a world where, People are still saying, well, there's going to be a little bit of a downturn, maybe not a recession, but um, but we're running a little bit on fumes. Although there was a, a, a consumer sentiment bump that was reported this morning. So, yeah, that's good. But but I guess what I'm trying to understand is, you know, if we're if the narrative has been we're going to be we're, we're normalizing mm-hmm. we're like well, this is when we're going to be seeing sort of a normal year outside of the supply. Don't you think that that would mean that we would have absorption in the range of kind of the mid 300,000 like we saw yeah. in 2018 and 2019? Yeah. Um, but they're calling again for double that um, of 665,000, which again, the, the I just don't see the same type of environment in demand um, compared to 2021. I, yeah. I just don't – that this is like a unique – like this was driven by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're not going to – what, what – what, um, driver is going to create this much demand. I, I mean, I, I think there's going to be more demand. I think it's going to be a I can't believe, you know, I'm, I've been telling people we're going to see a lot of demand this mm-hmm. year. Um, I think a lot of it's been pent up. It's going to be released. People have been uncertain because of interest rates and the economy. Well, I think there's going to be some green. I think there's already some green lights in the market, and the economy. The stock mm-hmm. market is obviously taking notice. Equity investors are starting to take notice. Yeah. Consumers are slowly starting to take notice we need some more definitive um direction of where we're going that should you know unleash that that pent-up demand now higher housing prices the inability to get a mortgage to buy a house that's going to contribute to that yep i'm not convinced though that's going to accelerate to the point where they are describing and is it i i again bricadians is in the business of selling multifamily yeah properties and lending it doesn't service them too well to fudge the numbers or try to make them look good by any means but is this an attempt to say you know we're going to have a decent year and how would you how would one here let me ask you a different way matt yeah um what is their rent growth projection for 2024 three percent okay yeah exactly <laughs> so there's no way um there, there is you cannot project a positive rent growth number and have a mismatch in supply and demand yeah you yeah. can't have mm-hmm. you can't be delivering record amount of supply and yeah. seeing average or weak demand and then say oh well rents are going to grow by three percent on average yeah. the only way you get the three percent on average is to basically have supply and demand be in equilibrium yeah. to some degree and so that they've kind had of they've, there, they've right? had to convince themselves because this is not a like we don't know we don't know a hundred percent we it's not a a, an absolute number. Oh, but that number is 665,497. That's like a fair specific number. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> not, real. I'm not saying that they didn't use a calculator to make up make yeah, the number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they just they, they decided not to round, which is good. Yeah. But, you know, the um, at least the 670, there's some there's much more definitive data rather than specul- yeah, yeah, speculating on sure. psychology. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. Um, and you know, now that you mentioned the ap- apartment rent growth numbers, I just want to put that in in context and give my rundown that I teased earlier. Yeah. So, Bercadia has three percent rent growth. CoStar, this is by the end of twenty twenty four. Okay, so three percent rent growth. CoStar has three point five percent. Yardy Matrix one point five percent. Freddie Mac one point two. CBRE one point two percent. 
Cushman and Wakefield, which we've mentioned before, negative 2.5% rent growth. Huge outlier there. Marcus and Millichap, 1.5%. Apartment list says low single digits. And I had to look back at my notes for this, but my own rent growth hot take was a positive 2%. So that was uh, that's the rundown, including my own <laughs> my own prediction. Yeah. It's not I don't I don't think it'll maybe get up to three percent, but um, and again we're talking national numbers, so it's yeah, it's yeah. you know you have, Very you, true. Have, you have supply that's being concentrated in many markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and undersupplied in others. So. Yeah, yeah. And and when it comes to apartment supply, they do have a nice map where it shows the top markets for apartment supply. And they the top markets are a little bit different than the ones that we see normally. I think it's because usually I'm reading different reports that, that maybe don't include every single market or the That's same true. group of markets. However, Huntsville. 16. Huntsville's on the top of the list in many reports. Yeah, yeah, and that's new supply. Yeah, yeah. 16.3% added to their supply. That's enormous. Um, Colorado Springs next, then Austin, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, Salt Lake City, Boise, Phoenix, Nashville, Charleston, all of them adding around 10. So Charleston at 7.5 adding um, to their supply, and Colorado Springs adding about 12%. But Really, these are a lot. And what is the the national average? Maybe down there a little bit below. Oh, they don't have a national average, but um, but it is uh, you know it's still a lot of, for for these huge markets. And you can see, um, like we mentioned before, a lot of the leaders are in the in the Sun Belt and a little bit in the mountains. Um, the these are the blue dots for the for the viewers, but for the uh, for the listeners, just know that that there is a. <laughs> There are a select group of large uh, of large inventory markets, or I'm sorry, select group of markets where they're going to have a lot of inventory coming, and there are, a lot of them are in the Sun Belt. And this is based on percentage, not by volume. Just yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you'd see New York and all those. Um, now, national apartment rent change. Top 10 markets. Again, Matt, I'd say there are some um, familiar faces that we've seen more recently. and But but I'd say that it's a more eclectic mix than you would typically see I on agree. a top 10 market list. Yeah. Madison at 5% rent growth, all the way down to Oklahoma City at number 10 with 3.7. So within those, you got Madison, San Jose, Virginia Beach, New Orleans, Orange County, California, Richmond, Virginia, Tucson, Ann Arbor, Omaha. And Oklahoma City again, uh, a lot of a lot of Midwestern markets. Yeah, yeah um, true. And um, I'm not seeing the Northeast markets that were, uh, you know, a lot the, of college towns. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that um, we 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 didn't have specific time for. It. That's something that Real Page has covered too. Carl yep. Whitaker covers yep. that pretty closely uh, as one of like the winners uh, for next year in their 2020 uh, for this coming year um, in their forecasts. Is uh, college towns are you know pretty w- wake up to them and and I, th- I thought that was kind of a savvy a, a savvy play for someone that you know get into student housing now because kids are coming back from remote working and, and there's yeah. poise for growth in that area yeah no re- really really good point um, well, so Matt, the last piece on uh, today's great report is an update um, from Moody's Analytics. Uh, highlights from the January 2024 CREFC conference, which is the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council conference. A lot of CRE. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of letters, but um, that, that's, that. that's that's fine. It's a little bit of a word alphabet soup, but um, but Matt. So you, before today's show, you were we were talking about this, and, and you were like, remember the last time we covered um, this report? I think Paul Fiorella put a, um, a piece on, and he does a lot of work for Yardi. Um, he's he's the director of um, economics or research mm-hmm. over at Yardi. Um, and the takeaway last year, and I, I don't know, I'm stealing your no, thing, no, 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 um, don't. Was <laughs> that you know it was relatively um, surprisingly little concern yeah or the, the alarm bells were not ringing and and now it's a little bit of a different story in 2024 which again i find so interesting because you know we would think that the banks um would be very well well aware of all of the risks and the concerns that we had yeah starting over a year ago and we put yeah. out reports almost a year almost a year ago highlighting this should be a big concern this mm-hmm. should be top of the list like these are your your assets you've you've you have these loans that you don't you know remember we we were saying oh and these bankers are meeting and they are not worried at all they're saying la di da that's all good we're gonna figure it out you know we what? Money around. And we're like this the math is not mathing right now yeah yeah like, your balance sheet is is 
is what if you market mark to market so matt what so what is the difference what is it is it a, the same tone different tone it seems like they are um they're willing to point out some vulnerabilities this year that they were not last year now maybe last year they're being a little contrarian because mm. the atmosphere was a lot more uh, doom and gloom i think this is before the regional bank in crisis yeah, I, th- I think I think it, you're right. if yeah. it took place around the same time yeah. last year, but that still, was, that was it was mid, like a little bit of a pressure year. cooker at the top of you know uh, of 2023, and yeah. and they were coming in there as like, don't worry, guys, don't worry. I know you're worrying, but don't worry. We're gonna get some guidance. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get some guidance for the Fed. We're gonna get guidance, and all will be <laughs> all good from on high. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> We've got it. we're safe by guidance. <laughs> It's, sometimes that seems like what the sentiment yeah, is like. Yeah. So everything about right. We're like, well, we've gotten some guidance. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, um, but so so that was last year. Now this year they are pointing to um, in the. I'll just cut to the chase here. Just get, yeah, just cut right so into it. I'm going to quote here. Unsurprisingly, the sentiment was that CMBS office loans were the most troubled property type. Interestingly, however, was that syndicated multifamily loans were identified by participants, which is not loans of syndicated multifamily deals okay but, but loans that have been syndicated out okay on um, those Just clarifying got it those were identified by participants as the next most susceptible sector to distress and those are going to be months. bridge loans and bank loans okay for, for the most part it could um for, for the most part i mean they could be ta- i mean yeah. obviously fannie and freddie's are all securitized also but i assume they're talking about you know their their balance sheet programs which are most likely bridge loans mm-hmm. and so they they're saying that even though some investors thought values had not fallen enough to jeopardize their principal aggressive underwriting at low cap rates has narrowed this margin of error um lastly despite the more aggressive underwriting similar to the sentiment at last fall's N- mba conference the loss severity on those defaulted multifamily loans is expected to be minimal however the fact that they're pointing to it is it should be uh, it should be an indicator and they were not necessarily pointing as if anything they were reassuring that this problem's not going to happen mm-hmm. now they're saying well this problem's not going to happen but it's going to be real small maybe mm-hmm. maybe in a month they're going to say okay this problem is going to happen it's going to be okay but we'll get over it <laughs> so they'll just yeah. keep escalating but uh it's a worthwhile change in their rhetoric that they're able to actually like point a finger here yeah it's interesting, you know, it's interesting. It reminds me, because you can just go back. We've covered this issue for a long time now, yeah. and we've been really focused on it. And we talked about, well, over a year ago, how this would most likely drive prices down. It's going to cause some distress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and we and we put, put a report where, like, you know, it's really going to get started in October of this last year. It's not going to, like, all happen in October, but, like, that. This is that's when, like, the, the pressure gets turned up yeah. throughout 2024 and early 2025. Mm-hmm. And we had people, like, talking to us in, like, October – they were like, well, you know, the market hasn't like completely crashed. So like, do you guys think your you know analysis, you know, was off? Like, is it a wall or is it a wave? Mm-hmm. And you, know, you look around, it's like, well, prices are down 15 to 30 percent. Yeah. Um, there has been meaningful distress, you know, but I, I guess isolated, but some really high profile cases of equity can be yeah. completely wiped out. Um, and and everywhere you look, there's a sponsor that's you know doing a capital call. Mm-hmm. Um so it's like, well, um, yeah, it, it hasn't like brought down the economy like just yet. Maybe, maybe never will. Mm-hmm. But the idea that like, but the price, the reality is, I mean, prices are down. Mm-hmm. There is pockets of distress across the country, isolated, most predominantly in the Sun Belt and in markets that had very low cap rates that people were getting very aggressive to win deals in. Yeah, you know that's happening and. From everything that we're seeing and reading, we're, we're, we're in the first inning or two of this process. We got to get through all of this year of these loans expiring. And the big variable is, you know, will the Fed r- reduce the Fed funds rate to um, allow for you know variable rate loans to be a little bit more easier to get and cheaper? Yeah. Um, and what will the you know the Treasury rates? What will the ten year Treasury do? You know, it's been hovering around you know plus or minus four percent. Has to come down quite a bit more to save a lot of the borrowers that are in the most trouble. Those on the margins are probably going to do okay, um, but 
not out of the woods just yet. Yeah. And when we were, you know, oh gosh, I don't know if you could pull up where the 10 year was at the start of 2023. So yeah. when they were saying, and, and when people were justifiably worried that, you know, there could be some problems in the, uh, in the CRE financing space, whether it's bridge loans or whatever. Um, but their target or, or I'm sorry, their expectation for the end of 2024 is 3.5 to 4% at, for the 10 year treasury. Um, Bank of America predicted 3.1%. But but again, this crowdsourced vote in, at the conference was 3.5% to 4. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's an interesting comment because, um, you know, again, we've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the 10 years come down so much. Has this really solved a lot of the problems? Yeah. And it's like, man, again, this recency bias is crazy. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it has declined from the peak when we basically were at five, you know, brushed 5%. We're down to 4%. But again, we're, we're only, and it's, it's spiking right now, mm -hmm. but we're basically, we're just going back in time to late August. Yeah. And, and, and in this entire preceding period, when rate, when the 10-year treasury is lower, is when we did the bulk of our analysis of saying yeah. Yeah. the 10-year treasury needs to come down from where it is now significantly <laughs> in order for people to get out of this. And then to say, it's like, well, well, we, it got, and then at this point, we were basically like, all right, no one is being saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one is being saved. And so just come, and it has receded to a level of where, Okay, the marginal deals, you know, may be okay if you've been a good operator. Mm -hmm. But to say, oh, well, now all is well and good, you know, certainly yeah. we're not out of the woods because the Fed funds rate hasn't moved an inch. So it looks like it was about three and a half percent at the at the the start of uh, yeah at the start of twenty twenty three. It was below three and a half percent. So we were, you know, people were concerned then, rightly so, and that's what it's going to end twenty twenty four at is at an equally concerning time. Between three point five to four percent, according to their you know straw. Yeah, poll. I mean our first um, report, Matt, came out in June, right? Yeah, June when it was mm -hmm. three point. You know, we started writing it when it was basically three and a half percent. Yeah, and it, you know it peaked. Um, well, sorry, this is this is May, so it, it peaked in 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 May here. Uh, you know, three point eight, and then it come, came down to three point six. You know, this is when basically this period is when the report came out. I mean, this is the context that we were saying. You know, rates have to come down from here, and that's basically the range and where then, it's going to end up, according to their yeah, according to their expectation. Now, that is, it's really interesting how, you know, okay, lower, um, yeah, you can say lower, but I don't think that it's going to reach the threshold for relief that uh, that is required by some of these borrowers. Um, maybe it's going to be close enough. That's what I'm. That's that's what I'm wondering is, you know, if it's close enough, are they going to be able to kind of scramble and make it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of lenders will let people skirt by a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to go through the process. They can't handle the volumes. And um, you know, the, the the one thing that is different, I would say, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we mentioned this last week, you know, today versus um, two months ago, is that there is a more much more risk on you know sentiment you know mm -hmm. kind of the animal spirits are back okay. in the market yeah. and, and and willing to take risk and to deploy equity um and that includes um apartments and multifamily um you know this is led by the stock market and the stock market is basically at all time sp500 may have pulled back yesterday or something but you know more or less all-time highs gives people a lot of confidence, you know, looking at their net worth, um, again, compared to the beginning of, um, you know, at the end of 2022, when everything was down, yeah. it was a different time period. People are a little bit more confident. Um, and again, we're on the, you know, there's a feeling of cresting the hill mm -hmm. um, and starting to go downhill in terms of interest rates, at least, you know, what the Federal Reserve more or less controls with the Fed funds rate. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what's tight, more also tightly correlated, somewhat Highly correlated more than I really thought is, you know, how that's going to affect consumer sentiment and overall yep. demand in the economy. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it could be a, well, as it was a um, 
kind of a double whammy, a negative double whammy of raising interest rates and, you know, destroying demand, demand destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see, you know, the exact opposite of, you know, an easing, fin- easing financial conditions, yeah. cheaper um, financing, and also increased demand um, all at the same time. So it's going to be nice to write that down. Some invest- investors are seeing that opportunity right now. Hmm. They're saying, right, now is the time to get back in the market. They're also seeing their the, the potential for you know, their short-term bonds and their allocations to money market um Accounts mm-hmm. and money market funds. They're saying, okay, that's great right now. I'm earning my five percent, five percent, six percent, but that's not going to be forever. And, yeah. and and even folks who are like, it's rates are going to stay really high. That sentiment has changed to rates are going to come back down and be like moderately high, but not at a level of where it's going to solve all my income and fixed income Good needs. Yeah. And I'm going to need to get into some risk assets. And if we do enter another rally, I think there's there's a little bit of like pre FOMO of like I'd hate to mm-hmm. miss out on this upcoming rally. I was like, yeah. Now yeah. that 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 could that could um you know create a little dead cat bounce type situation where we go up and then we, you know, drop. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't see that in the cards either if the if the economy continues to remain so strong. Yeah. That the big worry card Mm-hmm. You know, but is all of the um, all the regional banks though, and their balance sheets, and that they're not marking their assets to market, and mm-hmm. there are many of them are are un, have decreased in value substantially because they've got a bunch of mortgages that they own that were you know were yielding five per you know real well the interest rates on them were in the you know three to four percent range, and now rates mm-hmm. are in the five to six. The value of those. Um, those mortgages are, are much less if they, you know, if you're going to sell it because yeah. the interest isn't good as you know, new mortgage today, and so their balance sheets are just so bad. Well, and wouldn't that make them though? I, and and I think we may have talked about this before. Less likely to extend or to they like, may not be able to because yeah. they're they're like, look, we've already our, our our balance sheet is just full of you know a bunch of bad loans. Yeah, you know we we don't have the the capacity. Now they may want to. They're going to be more selective right mm-hmm. now. You know, if, if it's something that's really interesting, really fits what their mandate is, I mean, they're going to do it. But it's, it's not like they are, you know, sitting high and mighty. And, and again, it, think about just the psychology of like going from a period of all is great. You know, we're getting some decent income from these, you know, mortgage-backed securities. It's it, it's a great little sweet spot for us. It's a good income driver mm-hmm. um, to all. The, and you know, they they retain their value. Interest rates have continued to go down, so some of them increased in value over time. To all of a sudden, a world of where, oh wow, our balance sheet, you know, has a lot of losses on it. Yeah. And you know, we you know, I thought these mortgage-backed securities were you know a great place to be, and now like it's become a major problem. Even if you had the foresight to say, okay, you know, we're on the other side of this. This is like we're going to continue this business for the next cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't help by you couldn't you wouldn't be surprised if you heard some bankers say like, if I don't have to see another MBS deal for a while, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- what else is there out there? And maybe yeah. there isn't anything else, but well, um, that gun shyness mm-hmm. and um, frustration of yeah. like just dealing with reality and past decisions. Yeah, the, it, it will be interesting because they're not desperate enough to take anything. And yeah. so, oh, yeah. and and so it could be it it could be a ser- making the make up for future distress, basically. But and it could and again, so all that can mean that most can they, they've got their guidance. You know, they should be able to kick things yeah. down the the road a little bit. Yeah. But there is the potential for it's all meeting at a head, and there being some and a a, uh, a follow on to the regional bank crisis that we saw last year, First yeah. Republic and Signature Bank, mm-hmm. um, Silicon Valley Bank, um, but be much more w- wider spread. So, if there is a crisis, does that mean that apartment values drop? Not not necessarily. And here, here's the, here's the great thing about multifamily. Mm-hmm. So we've got the agencies, unlike office, industrial, any other t- class of commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. We have these government backed entities, government sponsored entities, um, some quasi government um, entities that are lenders of last resort. Yeah, because the um, housing market is so essential to the U.S. economy um, to support these lenders. Historically, have always been open and I've always maintained liquidity for the residential um, market but that's for single family homes as well as multifamily so your bank your regional bank that financing may dry up um, but Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and HUD are going to be open okay okay um, they were open during the the pandemic they were open during the great financial crisis uh, but you know CMBS for example CMBS stopped during COVID just 
flip the switch. Yeah. No more lending. Many bridge lenders and banks, no more lending. Not all, but but mm-hmm. ma- but many. Um, but the agencies were all open for business, still doing deals as much as like anybody could. Okay. And so the issue, so a real crisis in what would really bring a prices down. Mm-hmm. It would be a liquidity pr- crisis. There was no liquidity in the market. You couldn't get financing to buy something. So that's what really would send prices down materially because it's like if you have to sell it and you need to find a buyer, the buyer's mm-hmm. like, well, I can't get financing. This is like literally, you know, it's like the old negotiating. It's like this is the only money I have. Like yeah. literally this yeah. is it. I can't go get any more money. Mm-hmm. And, and so someone's forced to sell at a significant discount. Now do the prices of other assets like industrial office in that type of liquidity crunch – does the correlation of prices between other CRE assets and multifamily bring multifamily down a little bit? I certainly don't think that prices of apartments go up in that scenario, mm-hmm. although you could argue people could jump ship from those other asset classes. Can't move around that quickly. Most likely, it would be such an overall risk-off sentiment yeah. of destruction and confidence in general um, and uncertainty that it, it would not be good for any market, yeah. real estate, public, private um, the like. Yeah, it does seem like apartment. There's we've been through the huge upheaval. We've seen it in, mm. in twenty latter half of twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. We're still kind of limping along, but like yeah. there's not a you know it's hard. It, it, again, it's hard to find an apartment specific crisis because we're still actively renegotiating the value of a home in America, um, and we're negotiating it on it's going up. Yeah, it's <laughs> a many people's surprise. Yeah, it is not going down. Matt, this is a data-filled episode. This is yeah. great. This is really good. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Great Capital YouTube channel so you can get these videos, you know, sent directly to you. I think there's a little bell icon. You press that, like, gives you an alert. That's always handy. It's fun. It's fun. And you know, what do you think of the data? What do you think of again specifically on demand? You know, think about that Arcadia piece. That was the one that really stood out to me. Are we going to mm-hmm. see 670 units absorb in 2024? It's going to be closer to 350-ish, 300,000. What we typically see. Um, what do you what do you think? Um, feel free to challenge us or any of these reports and data. If you ever have any ideas of a topic you'd like to see covered, drop that below as well. We, that'll jump right to the top of our priority list. Matt, thanks for putting together a great show today. No problem. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming. Catch you on the next episode of the Great Report.